0: unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible-carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in.
1: All right, Jake. Well, here we are recording this episode for the fourth Sunday after Pentecost. This should be a great episode because we've already recorded half of it, in the sense. But I forgot to turn on the record button, so um, here we. But we, we have are. to trust in God's <laughs> providence. Clearly, you had said something heretical, yeah, uh, and the Lord uh, intervened
0: and um, and <laughs> smote your yeah. your microphone. It maybe so,
1: it w- maybe was on my uh, thoughts earlier that uh, America isn't a Christian nation. But anyway, um, yeah, there we are. Yeah, so we did We did talk a little—I mean, this is the Sunday that's after 4th of July,
0: so people are having a long weekend. Uh, they were probably off, uh, obviously, Thursday the 4th, and if their boss was nice, also Friday the 5th. So Sunday, they're coming into church a little sunburned, a little hungover, and some people may be expecting what I've seen in some churches where I've served. Uh, lots of American flags everywhere, lots of uh, patriotic hymns, and— uh, if you don't do them, you'll get angry emails on Monday morning. Um, if you do them, you run the risk of sort of uh, wrapping the cross in the flag, as it were. Maybe um, putting too much into the the powers of this world as opposed to
1: the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, how do, do you have any thoughts about uh, Fourth of July? Yeah, I think it's as we. I think it's important that you know we, of course, we say prayers for our nation and. Uh, and, um, you know, and there's nothing wrong. We, uh, show, uh, last week's fireworks, the, the previous year's fireworks show on the wall during our, uh, kind of, we have a picnic afterwards and, um, and, uh, but I think that the emphasis should never be on, uh on the country, the emphasis always needs to be on Christ, and, uh, and one of the great distinctions is is that kind of, you know, in America, um, independence means freedom, and uh, this is an idea that was developed by the deists. This isn't a Christian concept, um, and one of the things that I try and stress, if um, you know, when Fourth of July is fallen on a Sunday or nearby, um, is that uh, as Christians, um, our uh, freedom is actually found in dependence upon God. Mm. And so, uh, and so if you're going to preach on the 4th of July, really stress that idea that our freedom ultimately is found um, uh, uh, in our dependence. And that um, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. Um, um, there, there is, there's a real wonderful thing in the separation of the church and state. Yeah, for sure. We had a guy uh, from China recently visit St. Alban's, and uh, he'd
0: never been to a church service before. And afterwards, he s- I said, "Do you have any questions, or what was interesting to you?" And uh, two things were interesting. The first was the music made him cry. It was mm. actually really uh, beautiful to see the power of that. And then, but the other thing he said is, "Why do you have a flag in the church? Why do you have mm. an American flag in the church?" Um, because obviously, for him, church, even as a non-believer, non-practicer of any religion, he. He um, kind of um, had this just an understanding that if if God is real, God is not the God of any one nation. God is the God of everybody, all languages, uh, tribes, and tongues. So he was like, "Why do you have an American flag?" And I was like, "Well, you know, for us, it's a reminder to pray for our country and to be thankful for the good things that we do have here." But that's yeah. So, anyways, that's we we'll say the a prayer for the nation on uh, Fourth of July. We have a little Fourth of uh, on Sunday the seventh. On the fourth, we have a we have a a carillon, a bell tower at the church, and we'll have patriotic hymns played on that uh, bell tower, uh, and folks will have lemonade and stuff, and then there's a parade in the neighborhood. So That's great. That's our low-key 4th of July at St. Alban's Waco. But on Sunday, July 7th, uh, we'll have to preach about something. These passages are not about 4th of July. They're about the gospel. Every single one of them Just is about oozing. the
1: just this, dripping with gospel grace. This is this so, is oozing with gospel grace. Absolutely. I and uh, I you encourage this you is...
0: not to use the word ooze in your sermon. Mm-hmm. Also, ooze and moist, my two least favorite words in the <laughs> English language. Please don't use them. It actually pained me to say it, but... Um, so, but this now, is, you know my, now you know my weak spot. All right, so Second Kings. This is this is uh, the Sunday
1: you want to tell the curate to sit down and uh, <laughs> crank it right out of the park. And so, that's right. But, uh, um, you want to knock the cover off the
0: ball here. We've got Second Kings. We've got Galatians six and Luke ten. And the theme. Uh, there's lots of themes, but the main, I think, connecting tissue in all this sort of stuff. The thread that's running through it is that God is determined to save us um apart from ourselves Mm -hmm. and it has actually very little to do with what we add to the equation not a surprise for any of our longtime listeners but but let's let's begin with this second kings jake so we got this uh guy naaman he is the commander of the army of the king of aram this is essentially jordan it's the part kind of across the jordan Mm -hmm. river um now today, the country of Jordan. The Arameans are there, and so this guy, Naaman, he's the commander of the army, he's a mighty warrior, he's very successful um, in life, but he's got leprosy, which is some sort of skin condition, not necessarily what we think of leprosy, like his fingers are falling off, but some sort of chronic, ongoing, painful, difficult skin condition. And through a very surprising, unexpected uh, turn of events, in one of the raids, the Arameans captured a Jewish girl. She came to be the servant for Naaman's wife, and she sees that her boss's husband Naaman has this uh, skin condition, and says, "Hey, if only he would go to the prophet in Samaria, who we know is Elisha." Uh, Samaria is kind of the northern part of Israel, and so uh, Naaman gets this plan. Okay, I'll go. I'll go get cured. And the way he does it is the way that you that human beings would think religion works. You get Powerful people behind you. You get lots of um, uh, stuff to offer to impress God, and uh, and you go get your go get your cure. So for mm-hmm. him, he gets a letter from his king, and he gets silver, gold, and, and a lot of really nice uh, bespoke tailored suits from Savile Row, and he's gonna go now offer all of this stuff um, he to loads the king it up of Israel. In the, into the king of Israel. So he goes down to Israel and. Uh, and it's sort of funny what happens because the king, first of all, says, "I can't. I, what, what do you want me to do? I, are you trying to provoke a quarrel? I can't. I can't cure you. I can't do anything." And then, of course, Elisha hears what happens and says, "Okay, send him. Send him down to me." So Naaman pulls up in the SUV uh, caravan uh, with the police escort, uh, with the U-Haul full of gold and silver at Elisha's house,
1: and uh, and and. And what, hap- what happens next, Jake? You, let me well, hand you the baton. Thank you. Uh, well, I think it's amazing that, uh, I mean, you know, this mistress, the, the the Jewish girl, I mean, she is a preacher. And uh, yeah. in, in one level, a personification of God's grace, uh, speaking and giving a promise to um, uh, her enemies. She owes this man nothing, and she could have kept her mouth shut and just let him deal with his skin disease Um, And dandruff and everything that comes with it, Um, you know, she could have kept her mouth shut, but she gives him a promise and she tells him where to go. And this is amazing how God's promise can come to us from the most unlikely of places. Um, And and so, and it's not go to the big places in, uh, you know, um, in Syria, it's not go to the big places over here or there, go to Pharaoh in Egypt. It's go to the prophet in Samaria. Um, This is an amazing thing. And he doesn't even buy it because, as you emphasized earlier, this isn't how religion ought to work. Uh, Religion ought to be the way we want religion is we want it hard, we want it really expensive, uh, and we want to do something really fantastic for God to show him how worthy we are. Yep. And, uh, and so they, uh, they come up, and uh, he finally the king's like, I can't do anything about it. And so he goes to where he was actually told to go, and that is to the prophet in Samaria, Eli- uh, Elisha. And uh, Elisha doesn't come out. This is great. Elisha sends the assistant to talk to Naaman. Right, and so the uh, teenager with the name tag
0: and the little visor comes out, and uh says um you know uh the the boss says to just go wash in the jordan river seven times so again the picture is like this this great and powerful guy in i'm sure very you know resplendent clothes he's got in the passage emphasizes the horses and chariots i mean this guy has pulled up in his uh bentley essentially and you would think they'd roll out the red carpet, that somebody impressive, some potentate, the prophet would come out and greet him and also be wearing fancy things. But apparently Elisha is just catching up on, um, Ellen and, um, and then judge Judy's on next. So he's (laughs) just like, he he can't can't be be bothered." bothered. He's like, I'm, I'm eating my eclair and I can't, I'm in the middle of something. I'm covered in chocolate. So he sends the assistant out who says, yeah, the boss says to just go get in the Jordan river seven times. Uh, and Naaman is angry. He's offended because, again, he thinks like the rest of us do. Religion is supposed to be hard. And doesn't God
1: recognize how important
0: I am? Well, not and only I've done that, all these great
1: things. And not only that, it's get into the muddiest, filthiest river um, in the region. If you've ever seen yeah. the Jordan, it is, uh, it's is—it's not a mighty river. It's a giant creek. And It uh, ain't the Danube. It, you don't take Viking River cruises down the Jordan <laughs> River. It's like and, essentially an irrigation ditch. And he even says that he is not Abnar and uh, Farpar rivers of the Damascus, you know, near Damascus. Aren't those just as great? Uh, what the heck? I got to get in the Jordan. Uh, this is an offensive thing. Yeah, and so the servants.
0: Uh, again, a lot of servants in this passage, by the way. You have this the Jewish girl servant, you have uh, Elisha's servant, and now maybe the, uh, his own servants, Naaman's own servants. Again, just that flip-flop nature of the gospel, the ways God speaks to us are not always through the powerful people who we think should be God's voices, it's the servants who say, look, if he'd asked you to do something hard, you would have done it. He's asked you to do something easy. So, you know, nothing to lose, mm. might as well do it. And that's such a gospel thing. Like we, there's all these people, Jake, as you have said, who uh, come to Jesus and say, what do we have to do? Come to your church and they come to my church and they're expecting me to give them expecting you to give them a long list of things they have to do. And they've already come feeling like they've failed God because they haven't done it well enough. And so now they're going to get right. They're in church, and we're going to tell them what to do to fix things, and God will then bless them. And we want it to be hard. We want our religion to be serious, and we want to have to adopt a rule of life. Uh, I was talking to somebody recently who was saying, how do you implement a rule of life in the church? And I said, I don't really do much of that, but I do say... you know, believe in Jesus. Uh, If your rule of life helps you do that, that's great. Uh, But the main thing is um, uh, just, it's not about us. It's not about all the gold and silver we bring. It's not about the impressive pedigree we have. It's just getting in the Jordan River, which, and there may be some people that say, well, well, yeah, but he still had to do that. He still had to be obedient to that thing. And it's like, you're missing the point. The whole point of the story is that the point. Uh, we're trying to find the simplest, silliest, smallest little thing to do. Um, it's it's farcical. It's almost ridiculous. Um, a lot, and and that's what does it.
1: And and the and the. And the truth is, is that our message is the, is the same as Elijah's, yep. wash and be clean. Um, this is what you get in baptism, uh, and this is why baptism is so important. It's What do you mean? I mean, and we even hear it in the church today, you know? I mean, like, well, I mean, but after that, you better get it together, and... Um, and uh, no, the word is the same word as it was to Naaman wash and be clean. Um, it is in those waters where the scales and the disease of sin is washed away. And in God's image, you are like Naaman. You are restored yep. like the flesh of a young boy. But more importantly, I, in my translation, you are it's clean. actually
0: the message, it's a contemporary one. It says, His flesh was restored like the flesh of Jacob Smith. So smooth. So fresh and so clean, clean. Well, uh, you know I do. the thing too, Naaman. Right. This passage would be offensive to folks, uh, I think, in Israel, because again, Naaman—he's the commander of an enemy army. They worship the wrong god. He would not have been circumcised. He's unclean in every single way, and yet he still gets the good stuff. Mm.
1: This is very like pre-Jesus. This is this is like, Jeez. yeah. Jesus points it out. That's one of the things that infuriates him when he's preaching to the yep. to the to, to the people of Israel. Um, you know, he says, well, "We're not like we're not lots of people sick in Israel." And he, in those and days he was naming, yeah. So from the wrong Name team. It. So there's yeah. so much grace yeah. here. There's
0: so much emphasis on uh, we are saved not by what we do or what we bring to the table. We're saved by God's sort of ridiculous grace for people. Um, and yeah.
1: And. And and this grace transforms us in a powerful, powerful way, and uh, I think this is what Paul is getting at as we move into our reading from Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, that's right. And, uh, um, and you know, uh, this passage right here is oftentimes preached as prescription. And, uh, you know, and where it's actually, this is a very powerful thing about uh, description. You know, when Paul opens up by talking about people who are caught in transgressions and, uh, you know, restoring such people in a spirit of gentleness. And notice what he says when he opens up. You know, the temptation of a pastor, the temptation of a preacher is always to give people advice and how they can fix it. Um, and uh, the truth is, is that most of us, if you give people things to do to fix mm. it, they will do the exact opposite, or they'll begin to resent you. Uh, and the truth is, is that the call here that Paul gives us in Galatians is not to fix mm. it, but to bear one another's burdens, and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is to love one another, um, and uh, and uh, you know, and to, to be present. Um, in one's sufferings and to bear those burdens as Christ has already borne our burdens. So this
0: is Paul at his best sort of mixing some very real-world pastoral um, uh, thoughts about how to care for a congregation, um, how a congregation should care for one another, with also the theological foundation of all of it. And it's important to realize, and if you've been preaching through Galatians, your congregation may already be aware of this, but the sort of background thing is... um, circumcision which is in Paul's day that was the 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 thing that you would do to prove that you were a real super christian if you were a gentile some sort of greek and you became a christian Uh, and you're a guy, obviously, you would get circumcised, um, and there were sort of some folks in the church, in the early Christian church, that thought that that was really necessary for everybody, because it had been in the Bible, and it was the sign of the covenant, and all this sort of stuff. So, there were all these people trying to say, yes, you believe in Jesus, yes, you've been baptized, that's great, but now here's the extra thing you need to do to make sure you're really in with God, Um, and they wanted to get people to get circumcised again, and Paul, over and over and over in the book of Mm -hmm. Galatians says, look, Either Jesus' blood accomplished everything or it accomplished nothing. And if it accomplished everything, Mm. you don't need to get circumcised. You don't need to go back under the law, which was never able to save you in the first place. So this is kind of like with Naaman, he wants to bring all the gold and silver, and he wants to jump in the fancy river, and he wants Elisha the prophet to come out and do some sort of fancy hand David Copperfield magic trick, um, You know, put a scarf over you and wave my hands, and then poof! A, the, the doves are released and the smoke uh, is um, comes out of the fog machine and 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 Naaman is cured and uh, it, and in Galatians just like that there's this idea that no we don't have to do the extra things we don't we don't have to go back to the law to impress God we are saved because of what God has done in Jesus Christ and uh, and that's why. That's right. uh, Paul says, uh, I don't want to boast of
1: anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, that has that has done the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, you know, and that's what he means. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. And if you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. And what he's talking about there, as we've pointed out in the past, is that this isn't like, you know, um, you know making out or, you know, doing... Um, Doing devious things. This is uh, yeah, this your is flesh. your own righteous work, um, and uh, you will. Uh, this this is this is this is a conversation of religion here, and your own uh, justification. And the truth is, is that you're going to reap it, and uh, and uh, you're going to find that it is like a filthy rag. And uh, but if you reap with the Spirit, you'll you'll reap eternal life because that is justified by Jesus. Because the cross is the only thing that matters. And he closes up this passage. It's very good. I love this. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. And this is really a word for those of us like uh, law gospel guys who can turn the law and the gospel and this wonderful good news that we have mm-hmm. into a bludgeon. you know what I mean? <laughs> we <laughs> have the true it. understanding and, of the gospel um, and
0: thus we are saved.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and I deeply feel that, and uh, so this word is a word to me as well to remind you that the only thing that matters is the new creation, because when Paul speaks of the cross here, he's speaking of both the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. That's what we mean by the cross. And, uh, and uh, the point being here is that in that resurrection, man, Jesus has demonstrated that um, it is His work and that this is the beginning of a new creation of which you're a part. And those who put their trust in that, um, as for those who follow this rule, peace be upon them in mercy and upon the Israel of God, the idea being here that the church now is the, the Israel of God. Those who have their, their trust not in their flesh, and what they're doing in the religious exercises of the day but in the work of Jesus in the spirit uh, by which we are given everything that we need to stand justified yeah and
0: i, I just want to back up one more uh, time to verse 8 because that verse if not properly expounded i think we hear it with our legalistic ears and well and mm. the actual meaning of it is so different from from that so if you sow to your own flesh you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life from the Spirit. And so how we hear that, first of all, as you said, when we hear flesh, we often think sex. We think our bodies. We think uh, Bob Seeger, I used her. She used me. And uh, we all had a good time. Uh, and uh, <laughs> That is uh, yeah. a great illustration, yeah, everybody. You won't use that in anyone. your sermon so, on Sunday. Um, We hear flesh. We <laughs> think sex. We think carnal desires. We think all this sort of stuff. And so we think, Paul is saying, if you have sex with your girlfriend you're gonna get what they now call stis used to be stds before that vds you'll reap corruption from the flesh if you do bad things with your body you'll get some bad consequences from that or something like that that's how if you sow to your flesh you reap corruption of flesh but if you sow to the spirit and then we hear that if you do religious things and if you do what God wants you to do, if you read your Bible, if you listen to Hillsong, if you um, uh, donate mm. to worthy causes, if you work at the soup kitchen, if you do those things, then you'll get reward. Then you'll go to heaven. That's how we hear that passage, and that's not what he's saying. When he says, "If you sow to your own flesh," we know this from verse twelve in the previous chapters. What he's talking about is circumcision. He's saying if you put all your chips in. On your circumcision and your holy actions as being the thing to save you—the stuff that you do in your body, in your flesh—that's uh, not going to work. Uh, you'll reap corruption. Actually, your mm-hmm. your your um, your dependence on yourself is going to move you farther away from God. But if you sow to the Spirit, and he—and again, he's not saying do religious stuff. He's saying if you trust in God's Holy Spirit to sanctify you, to save you, to do the work in you. Not you doing it, but God doing it. Then you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So, it's not don't do bad things, do good things, and God will give you a gold star. That's how we hear that. This passage is Saying if you do religious stuff and trust in that to save you, it's not going to work. So what I want you to do is to trust in God to save you, to believe in Jesus Christ, to be filled with the Spirit. It's it's a completely different thing that's going on here, and that's why he can say circumcision nor uncircumcision matter at all. Whether we uh, show up to the prophet Elisha with gold and silver, uh, that that has that doesn't matter. The only thing here that matters is trusting in what God has done for us, and which we know is the finished work mm. of Christ on the cross.
1: Yeah. I do think that the the Luke passage is a very good one, too, and it's a really... I, I, I think that this, this Luke chapter 10 needs to be read at every ordination as a reminder. You know, so often it's like, congratulations, you you know, wonderful, and you're going to have a great time. And the readings are always like, you know, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And, you know, and, and and these things. But this passage is really about like kind of the life of a preacher and to remember that you are sent out by Jesus as a lamb amongst the wolves. and um, With Jack Squat. With Jack Squat. And, um, and so, but... This passage is a very powerful one about really how God speaks to us. And, um, you know, you speak to God, but how does God speak to you? And He speaks to you through, um, through preachers. And, uh, and through uh, through the proclamation of this gospel, and I love it. And the, the, there's there's significance to Jesus sending, appointing and sending out 70. Uh, the first significance of this, every Old Testament hearer would have known this, 70 represents the nations after the flood. This is, so the idea concept here is, is that the, the whole world is going to receive this good word. The second thing is 70 is from the book of Numbers, and this is the number of people that um, Moses appointed to oversee the nation of Israel and to see that they were following the precepts of the law. And now Jesus has appointed 70 to go out into the world to to basically let them know that the fulfillment of the law has come. Uh, The kingdom of God has come near you. This is very important. Uh, Notice he doesn't tell them to go preach about how they can partner with God and help uh, bring in the kingdom. No, no, the kingdom has already come. I tell you, if I hear one more person talk about partnering with God to usher in the kingdom or how it's our job to usher in the kingdom, and maybe we'll get it established and we'll invite God to join us. That's wrong. The kingdom of God has come. This is—it's come near to you. This is the proclamation. And the kingdom yep. of God is Jesus himself, because this is also an Old Testament idea of God's people being in God's place under God's rule. That is the kingdom of God. And Jesus as the shoot of Jesse, um, the, the, the new nation, is right there in their very midst. And so this is, a, this is an exciting thing. Yeah, and I think, you know, it is, there seems to be a, a wide understanding in the church
0: these days that um, your church mission statement must have something about how you are building the kingdom of God, which is sort of in direct opposition mm-hmm. to how Jesus always describes it. He never says, go out there and build the kingdom of God. He always says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a lady that lost a coin. The kingdom of God is mm-hmm. like a shepherd that lost a sheep. And and he's describing what it's like, and here we clearly see, hear him say, like it's our it's already here. Like this is the amazing thing. And so when people go talk about building the kingdom, I'm like, no, you don't you don't get it. It's here. It's, it's not about what we do. It's it's something that Jesus has already done. It is here. And, yeah, and I think him. and
1: I think that's the powerful thing too is that it comes to us. Uh, like it came to Naaman, in simplicity, mm-hmm. it comes to you, um, and God speaks to you through the words of a broken preacher who's giving you the gospel. It's going to come to you in simplicity, in water, and in um, and in bread and wine, in these sacraments. This is God meets you there, and God speaks to you, and His kingdom is very present where the word is proclaimed and these sacraments are administered, and um, and uh, and He's doing the work. He doesn't need our help. Mm. We just need to proclaim it. Yeah, and it's sort of
0: amazing just to think about missions and how people often think about missionary work and mission activity. Um, what's so incredible and beautiful in the way Jesus describes it is the humility of the preacher, of the, of the missionary, of the disciple. Um, they are supposed to come with nothing. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to uh, depend completely on their hosts. Um, so the idea of, you know, missionaries, the missionaries in Hawaii showed up with crates and boxes and everything so they could sort of recreate their American life uh, on those um, islands and uh, and then approach the people there in a position sort of of power and authority. We have what you need. We're going to give it to you. Um, but the picture that Jesus gives us here is this beautiful very christian picture of humility and just depending on your host not coming in power to give to them but actually receiving from them and then the only announcement is to say the kingdom of god has come near to you mm. it's here um and it's just it's it's how god works god comes to us in humility uh in jesus christ and he comes with an announcement the kingdom of god has come near to you even if you weren't looking for it even if you haven't done everything right kingdom of God has come, has come near to you. Mm. And that's, that's the message. Really and That's is. what the message was, as you said, to Naaman, and that's the message to the people in the Galatians. That's the message to your congregation. And you think you're not good enough. You think you haven't brought enough in your U-Haul full of spiritual accomplishments. Uh, but the kingdom of heaven has come has come near to you. And,
1: and finally, you know, and that is the good news. And that's why Jesus wraps up this gospel reading. You know, they're pumped. They come back. They're really excited, you know. Um, and, uh, and he says, nevertheless, do not rejoice at this. The spirits submit to you. That spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And this is the thing: mm-hmm. assurance um, is not found in um, anything we're doing. And this is the this is the this is the ribbon that ties the whole package together. But it's found in the fact that the gospel has been preached, and the gospel assures you that your name, because of Jesus, not what you've done, but uh, or what river you dipped yourself into, but Jesus has written your name in the book of life. He's done it; it's already happened. You are clean. Yep. And also, based on verse 19, make sure that you have some snakes
0: and scorpions mm. uh, on hand in your congregation <laughs> to to just sort of uh, just see what happens. That'll be a 4th of the, July the,
1: celebration. Stick your hand in the terrarium <laughs> for the Lord and see what happens. <laughs> Anyways, them. well, Aaron, have a have a have a happy Fourth of July, and um, and um, and everybody listening, uh, have a happy Fourth of July. Stay safe. Don't handle fireworks, and um, and we'll see you here next week with all your fingers. Happy Fourth. Bye. So-